0: You are listening to audio provided by FBC Farwell. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out fbcfarwell.org. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to Acts chapter 15. I hope you did bring your copy of God's word, whether that is a scroll. A few people no, <laughs> or whether that's a print Bible like I have here, or digital, however, you can access the Word of God, access it, and uh, slide over to Acts 15, or unroll to Acts 15, however. Acts 15 has it's been said about Acts 15 that it contains one of the most bold documents Uh, written to man defending the gospel of grace that we are saved by grace alone by faith alone in Christ Jesus alone Uh, it makes the defense that we are saved by grace uh, in the midst of a group of people who are saying otherwise that you must add to grace works And that's what we're going to look at this morning acts chapter 15 i've entitled the message grace defended and grace displayed grace defended and grace displayed that's the uh the overarching crux of the text this morning Acts chapter 15, let's look at the first couple of verses. We will cover the entire chapter, but we won't read all of it. Let's look at the first four verses, and then let's pray. Acts chapter 15 says this, some men, let me back up, let me give you a little bit of the setting of where we're at. They've, uh, the, Paul has, and, and uh, Barnabas has gone on their first missionary journey. It's taken about a 10-year process. And we see the church everywhere they go. That There's believers raised up, Gentiles and Jews coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and you see this, this coming together of Jews and people of other nations coming together and worshiping the Lord and Savior. And Paul and Barnabas has gone all over to multiple different cities. They have made their way back to their sending church, the church there at Antioch. And this is where we pick up Acts chapter 15, some men came down from Judea, which would have been Jerusalem, and began to teach the brothers, the the believers, they began to teach, they began to disciple, they began to pull them out from the church, or maybe even inside the church in some discipleship manner, they began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Can you imagine hearing this news? They have heard from the Apostle Paul, they have seen the Holy Spirit being poured out on them, and they have heard from the Apostle Paul that they are saved by grace. That there is nothing that they, can, they can't become a Jew and be saved. That, that it is only by the gift of Jesus Christ. The, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that they are saved. And now, they hear these people that have come down from Jerusalem, which would have been an area of authority, and they're telling them, no, 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 you have to add to that grace now. You have to add works. Look at verse 2. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate... Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem regarding this issue. We want the church to say, we want to send you to Jerusalem and let's settle this with the mother church, if you will. Let's settle this once and for all, or what they would have thought once and for all, but it most definitely wasn't. Verse 3, when they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. I love this because here, you know Paul and Barnabas, it is heavy on their heart that this teaching is, is, is infiltrating itself into the church... And you would think that this would be the only thing on their mind, but this is beautiful. here they are they, they have to be hurting because this has come into the church, but yet on their way because this it 's about a two hundred and fifty mile trek some of it majority of it is walking, and uh, and the rest of it is uh, is by, sail, uh, by by water, by boat and so on their way they 're just continuing to share the gospel they 're continuing to give report of what God is doing, and by doing so. People are encouraged. Brothers and sisters are encouraged. Look at verse 4. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, welcomed by the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. There it is again, just just continuing to to tell what God is doing through the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. Verse 5. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees Stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. That's the setting. Father, we pray that you would help us to, number one, know that we are saved by grace alone. God, may we fight against our own desire to add salvation. The desire to, to think that, that there must be something more. There must be something more to, to me being saved. And that, that so easily sneaks into our, our own belief. And God, may we as a church continually guard against any works based theology God I pray God I pray that you would help us to see that this is your word it is alive and it is for us today father would you empower the preaching of the word today would you do what only you can do by the power of the Holy Spirit? It's in your son's precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Grace defended by the truth. and grace displayed out of a love for one another. That's what we're going to see in the remaining part of Acts chapter 15. Grace displayed out of a love for one another. What is that? And we're going to say, I'm going to say that word a lot this morning. Grace. What is grace? Well, it is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. Grace is the unmerited. There's nothing you could do to merit Jesus dying on the cross for you. It's undeserved. You, you don't deserve it. I didn't deserve Jesus Christ dying on the cross for me. I didn't deserve to be saved by Jesus Christ and neither does anyone else. The unmerited, undeserved favor of God. If you like acronyms, there's an easy way to remember it as well. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. God pours out his riches on you and I. Unmerited, undeserved and he does so at Christ's expense, sending Jesus Christ to the cross. Grace, sometimes we, uh, we, we reduce that word to a simple, maybe a little byword like goodness gracious. Or, or maybe it's, uh, we hear it sometimes in, in people's names, um, Erica Grace. Or maybe sometimes we limit it to uh, uh, to saying grace. Like we sit down at the table and we and we say grace. There's nothing wrong with using that word in any of those in any of those ways. Uh, uh, one of my one of my best friends, a, a mentor of mine, tells me a story. He's told me a story of when he was a teenager, a young teenager. Uh, his dad was calling everyone in uh, to uh, to come to the dinner table, and and as all of the family gathered around the table. The father said, "Uh, boys, bow your head. Mom's going to say grace. And as they all bowed their head to say grace, my friend tells me that his mom prayed and prayed and prayed. Here's this young teenage boy hungry. He can smell the food. It's right there underneath his nose, and his mom is just going on praying and praying and praying and praying. Of course, he wasn't listening to the prayer. He was thinking about the food. He should have been listening to the prayer because as soon as she said amen, this young teenage boy looked at his mom and he said, Goodness gracious, mom. Is that the first time you've talked to God all day? (laughs) Grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9 says, For we are saved by grace through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it is God's gift not from works so that no one can boast. And so we see in our text where this is really the first time. This is, this is a wolf in sheep's clothing. This is the first time for this young church, and I, ask, I continue to say young so we're still talking about the first century. This is, this is the first time that, that an attack has come from inside the church. You see, all the other attacks that has led up to this point has been people outside the church. It's been persecution from the outside in. Well, this one is coming from the inside. Acts chapter 15 reveals that to us. Acts chapter 15, let's look at it again. Verse one, some men came down from Judea which would have been Samaria came down from there's always a reference when you go to Jerusalem you're going up to Jerusalem and so, so here's what's happening here's these new Christians they're, they're hearing about these people who are coming down from Jerusalem and with that it bears authority they believe that these people have been sent by the church in Jerusalem to teach them that they must add to grace works based religion. They came down and they began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs prescribed by Moses, you cannot. You, they simply, you cannot be saved. Verse 2. Just the first part of verse 2. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument. argument thank goodness. Because we don't know if Paul and Barnabas would not have been there. If they would have picked up on that this is false teaching. Being young in the faith. Thank goodness Paul and Barnabas was there. They began to, to debate uh, uh, these, these false teachers. They began to have a serious argument. About they're teaching. And we don't have to wonder what they were saying. You can actually go over to Galatians, what Paul and Barnabas would have said to them. You can go over to Galatians. Turn there with me, Galatians. Let's look at a couple of verses. Galatians chapter 1. As you're turning there, let me just Man, I Galatians deals with this issue. Literally, the entire book of Galatians is written to tell this young church that they're saved by grace alone. That to to be cautious of false teachers. False teachers had worked their way into the church here. And so we can see what Paul would have said in Acts uh, chapter 15 by looking at what he said basically on the same exact, or not basically, literally on the same exact issue in Galatians. It would take you less than, probably some of you less than 10 minutes, maybe the rest of you if you're kind of slow like me, 15 minutes, to read the entire book of Galatians. It's not very long. You can read it quick. I would encourage you to read it today. But let's look at a couple of verses. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Look at what he says. I am amazed. So quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What have they turned to? They've turned to a works based gospel. Look at what he says about it. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some, there are some who are troubling you, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. He says the exact same thing again. If if anyone was to preach another gospel, it doesn't matter who it is, a curse be on them. Turn over to chapter 3 of Galatians. Here's another example of, of this argument that Paul and Barnabas would have been making to these people who have come down from Judea telling these, telling these new Christians at Antioch, unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. Here's another thing I believe that Paul would have been saying in that argument. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians! Who has cast a spell on you? See, some of them had bought into this works-based theology. Who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified I only want to learn this from you did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith is that how you is that how you were saved by works of the law or hearing with faith are you so foolish after beginning by the spirit are you now finishing by the flesh did you experience so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? Verse 5, So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law, or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. verse 7. You know then, that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons, Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying, all the nations, listen, when he says, there's a reference there, we're going to see it in Acts as well, in Acts chapter 15, when he's talking about all the nations, he's talking about all of those outside of Judaism, everyone except for the Jews, all the nations, anyone will be blessed through you. Verse 9, Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Let's look at one more. Look at at Galatians chapter 5. One more portion. And if you write these down, you can can probably read the book of Galatians in five minutes because I'm reading a lot of it for you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. Look at what he says. For freedom... For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Verse 3. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. In other words, he's saying this. Listen, you want to add that little piece of the law? Then you have to add all of the law. And even then, if, if you could fulfill all of the law, you would still be lost. Verse 5, For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Oh, and I could go on and on and on. But here we get a, we get a taste of what the Apostle Paul is saying to these people who've come down from, from Judea in teaching this false gospel. This is, the, this is the argument that Paul is making. This is the debate that he is engaging with them. And then the text moves to three testimonies by four pillars of the church. Grace is defended by four pillars of the church. There's three different testimonies. We're going to look at each one of those individually. But I want you to see how the early church defended the gospel of grace alone. Salvation by grace alone. The first one we're going to look at is Peter. You can imagine as this as this debate is going on in verse 6, it says the apostles and the elders gathered together to, to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, so they're allowing, the, and I love the graciousness of that, they're, they're allowing different people to give what they believe is truth, and after debate goes on for some time, One of the pillars of the church, one of the apostles stands up, and who else could it have been? Who else would have spoken first but Peter? Look at Peter's testimony, starting in verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to them, Brothers and sisters, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He also did to us. Verse 9. He made no distinction between us and them. Peter being a a Jew, he's saying God didn't see any difference between us and the Gentiles. Cleansing their hearts by faith. Here's what Peter is doing. Peter is recalling the events that had taken place some 10 years prior to Acts chapter 15. Uh, He's actually pointing back to Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. Look back at Acts chapter 10, verse 44. This is the story. He's he's pointing back to the story of when Cornelius, a Gentile, became saved. There was no works about it. It was all grace. Look at what, Acts chapter 10 verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard Peter preaching the message, just like the Holy Spirit came down when Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2, when he came down on the Jews, when the Holy Spirit Uh, when, When Pentecost took place, now it's coming down on the Gentiles. Look at verse 45. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, they were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out. Watch this. Look at their amazement. Even on the Gentiles. And this is Peter's testimony. Peter is saying, listen. You guys can debate all you want. You can go back and forth all you want. But let me tell you what I have seen. This is what I saw. I saw Gentiles being, the Holy Spirit being poured out on them and them coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And they did absolutely nothing. It was unmerited. And it was an, unfavor, an, an unearned favor of God. Look at verse 10. So he says, now then, notice what, notice what Peter says to these false teachers. Why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? You think of back in the I don't know, early days of, of oxen. And in a yoke over the neck of, a, of an ox or a team of of oxen to uh, to plow a field. This is the imagery that that uh, that Peter is using. It's somewhat of a of a slave imagery. He's saying works based salvation is slavery. And why would you why would you test God by putting this 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 Work of slavery on the disciples' necks that, that neither they can keep, and neither none of our ancestors could keep this. I love this. Now, watch what he says. On the contrary, verse 11, Acts 15 11, on the contrary, we believe, Peter, a Jew, a believing Jew, Christian, we believe that we are saved through grace. Of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the same way that they are. In the same way that they are. Notice how he says this in verse 11. We Jews shall be saved even as they. It's not that they will be saved the way we are, but he reverses it. Not only was the law not applicable to the Gentiles but it was no longer applicable to the Jews. I believe that's why he reverses this. By grace, through faith, is the message that Peter is saying. Not obey Moses and be circumcised. And remember what we're looking at. We're seeing how how grace is defended in the first century, and we can model it the exact same way today, and we must defend Salvation by grace alone. The second testimony that we see is found in verse 12. It's quite short. And it's the testimony of Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas must have done the talking here because his name is mentioned first. In Scripture, normally whoever's name is mentioned first when there's a pair is the one who does the talking. Up to this point, or, or prior, it had been Barnabas and Paul. And then on the mission trip, it had always been Paul and Barnabas. And now it's reversed back just a little I think an interesting tidbit. But no, notice verse 12. Look at their testimony. The whole assembly became silent. You see the respect of Barnabas and Paul here. The whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Can you just hear as, as, as Barnabas and Paul began to just tell story after story after story of the Holy Spirit? being poured out on the Gentiles as they went from town to town to town over a ten year period. And then finally, after they finish telling their stories, after they finish giving their testimony, we see the third defense, and that is by James. James, the the half-brother of Jesus, the the leader of the church there in Jerusalem highly highly respected leader of the church look at verse 13 we see the beginning of his testimony after they stopped speaking they being Paul and Barnabas or Barnabas and Paul James responded brothers and sisters sisters listen to me Simeon who he's referencing Peter Simon Peter Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his own name. Simeon has reported how God has chosen to take from the Gentiles, that's the nations, anybody but a Jew, a people for his own name. James just says, listen, Peter has given you ample evidence Of the grace of God being poured out on the Gentiles. That's what he's saying. Listen, did you you hear what Peter said? He doesn't even mention Barnabas and Paul. He says, did you hear what Peter said? He has given you ample evidence of salvation by grace. But this is interesting. This is so key for us. Our experience can never trump Scripture. Let me say that again. Our experience can never trump Scripture. Our experience is never more important than Scripture. We can't just say, well, I had this experience and therefore it's true. No, you, that's, you, you, that's, that's impossible. You, you, you literally can say it, but it doesn't make it true just because you experienced it. We must go back to Scripture. And that's what James does. He says, listen, Peter has given you ample Evidence, but I don't want you to just be tied to evidence. I want to take you back to the Old Testament prophets. So watch what he does. He's saying, he he, he gives us here, starting in verse 15, he points back to the prophets, and he's saying, listen, the Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus Christ by grace is actually the fulfillment of prophecy. And he goes back to Amos. Now, turn in your Bible the table of contents and find amos find the page number and go there maybe you did bible drill and you know it's one of the minor prophets but turn to amos amos chapter 9 and here's what here's what james leader of the church and it's kind of like he seals the deal like if you ever been in a room and, and, and everybody's talking about an issue and then that one statesman speaks up and everybody they just kind of okay that settles it that's what happens here James settles the argument not with experience although the experiences were true he backs up the experiences with God's word and he's saying this. Listen, our experiences don't make it true. God's Word makes it true. And because God's Word is true, then we can experience it. Does that make sense? Our experiences don't make it true. God's Word makes it true. And because God's Word is true, then we can experience it. So watch what he does. He, 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 he points back to Amos chapter 9, verse 11. In that day... I will restore the fallen shelter of David. He's, it's, um, it's he's he's bringing the Jews back together. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old. But watch this: so that they may possess the remnant of of Edom, and watch this: all the nations all the nations, not some of the nations, not just the Jewish nations, but all the nations, all of the non-Jews, all the Gentiles, the non-Jews, that bear My name. This is interesting. This is important. He's not saying that everyone will come to faith in Jesus Christ, but all the nations that bear My name. All the nations that the blood of Jesus Christ has been poured out on. he's, He's going back to prophecy. All the nations... Bear my name. Watch this promise. This is the declaration of the Lord. He will do this. So here's James. Verse 16 through 18. He's pointing back to the prophecy. And he's saying, listen, the Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus Christ is fulfillment of prophecy. Salvation by grace alone has been passionately defended. Look at verse 19. Watch what he says, Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. Now, notice what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying this, this works-based religion is a difficulty. In, in earlier, remember what he says, not, not only our ancestors not to keep it, we, can, we can't keep this. So it's a difficulty. We. We cannot cause difficulty for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. Listen, history has proven, experience has proven that anything that is made a co-requirement with faith soon shoves faith to the side and the co-requirement becomes the means of salvation. You just look through history, and that is true. Liberal, progressive theology says that many things, but a, a few of the things just says that that truth is relative, and and so whatever you believe is true is truth. So so yes, you can be saved by this is relative. This is liberal progressive theology. Yes, you can be saved by Jesus, but but whatever you believe is true is, is true as well. All of a sudden, salvation by grace alone is pushed aside and now it's salvation by whatever you want to believe. We see that historically. We can see that experientially. Salvation by grace alone was defended in the first century and it must continue to be defended today and until Jesus comes. Listen, you, are, you and I are not saved by trusting in our own abilities. This is so key. We can't, and, and so often, I think I said this in my prayer when I started off, so often we allow this to sneak in. We, just, we, we struggle with the idea that, that salvation is by grace alone. That there must be something else that for, you know, for God to be happy with me. For God to, to look down with favor on me. Then there must be something else for me to truly be his son. And so we begin to add works to it. We begin to work on self. Listen, self-help is not a help at all if you're dead. <laughs> Think about that. Self-help is not a help at all if you are dead. We can go to the bookstores and we can read every self-help book. But if you are dead, listen, you take a self-help book out to a seminary or cemetery. (laughs) That was close, seminary. Cemetery. um, And it's going to do nothing for the people in the grave, right? Self-help is no help at all when you're dead. Listen, we can't look within to find hope. We can't meditate our way to joy. We will never find love by by self-defining love. The fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control can never be experienced outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ so often we're, we're, we're turning to self-help things. We're, we're trying to look within. A, there's so many quote-unquote Christian authors that are pointing to us just looking within for the answers and we must not try to find the answer within ourselves. The answer is outside of ourselves and the answer is Jesus Christ. He alone is the only one that can give us joy. He alone is the only one that can give us peace. Listen, we must not ever abandon the gospel of grace. Jesus' work on the cross is sufficient. It is sufficient for you. It is sufficient for me. It is sufficient for your neighbor. It is sufficient for your most rebellious child. It is sufficient for your most reprobate co-worker. It is sufficient. Oh, and may we rest in His grace and proclaim it to the world. So grace defended. Now let's look, let's look at how they defend, or I'm sorry, how grace is displayed. Grace defended and grace displayed. Look at verse 20. James is still speaking here. He's just pointed to the prophecy and how Gentiles are the fulfillment of that. And then look at verse 20. But instead, we should write to them. This is the Gentile believers who are in Antioch. We should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. This seems like it comes out of like left field, James. I mean, we're, we're talking about... You're, you're, you're talking... They're trying to bring in works-based theology and, and you're defending grace. So, so why, would you, why would you bring this in? But instead, we should write to them to abstain from something. Abstain from polluted, being polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled and from the blood. Why? Why is he writing this? Verse 21, I believe, answers that. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city. In other words, he's saying this. I want you to abstain from these things because in every city there is a house, there is a group of Jews who are reading the laws of Moses. In every city. And as these Christians begin to pop up in every city, and as these Jews become, uh, start becoming Christian as well, guess what? There is going to be a fellowship among the Gentiles who do not follow any of these rules and the Jews who do everything possible to follow these rules. And so he's saying, yes, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But when it comes to fellowship, there's some things that we can do as brothers and sisters in Christ to help that fellowship. And so he's saying, listen, your communities where where Paul and Barnabas, where you're going to be going, there is a group of Jews where, where, where the laws of Moses have been preached in every single city, every Sabbath day. He's read aloud in the synagogues, which is where you are going. So here's the end goal. He's saying, Fellowship, for it to be possible, there must be, there must be some some grace. There must be some generosity to not offend your new brother in Christ. But notice this James never. Tied these to salvation. This is where sometimes theologically we get this wrong. We look at this and we go, oh, this must be also to, to salvation. But instead we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols. So, so if I was to eat a meal that had been, that had been given to an idol, then, then, then I'm no longer saved. No, listen, James doesn't do that. He never ties this to salvation. He never ties them to being a sinful action if you did them outside of the sexual immorality and we see that all throughout scripture. So in the first part of James's speech he's defending grace by showing that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus. But the second part he's defending Christian fellowship. This is so key. He is defending Christian fellowship. And look at the response Verse 30 and 31. They write... A, or Actually, let me, let me back up. I won't read all of it. But starting in verse 22, this Jerusalem council, they, they write a letter and they send it with Paul and Barnabas and a few others. Look at verse 20. So they were sent off and went down to Antioch and after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. So they gather the church together and when they read it, guess what happens? They rejoiced. This... This young group of believers who had, and, and this might have been a year later, we don't know exactly the timeline, but by the time they traveled 250 miles, got everyone together in Jerusalem, had this council, this debate, theological debate, came up with the conclusion, yes, grace or salvation is by grace alone, and then sent them back. Now they're hearing the message, yes, you are saved by grace alone. They rejoiced. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Look at verse 32. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers. Oh, I love this verse. They encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. (laughs) Some of you will get that later. Verse 33. After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. They rejoiced. They were thankful. Salvation is by grace alone. And this it also it just their their thankfulness, their rejoicing tells us that they were willing to lay aside. Some of the freedoms that they had. There was, no, there was no law about them eating anything. And so they laid aside the freedoms that they had. The foods they ate. The traditions. For the sake of Christian fellowship. Grace defended. And grace displayed. Here's how we can apply this today. Christians. Christians. You can display grace to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ by restricting your freedom for their sake. And I know that probably flies in the face of our independence. But let it fly in our face. We can display grace to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ by restricting our freedom for their sake sake. There are times which Christians should abstain from certain liberties in order to maintain peaceful social interactions with others. And we must be willing to do that. Christians with a strong conscience should never violate the conscience of weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. We should limit limit our liberty, liberty out of love for the weaker Christian. This is grace displayed. If you think that's some new, you know, idea, some new concept, it's not. John Newton, an 18th century, highly respected pastor and theologian. Listen to this statement that he makes. He says, Paul was a reed, a flexible reed in non-essentials. In secondary, in tertiary things, Paul was a reed, he was was flexible, but an iron pillar in essentials. Like grace alone. Through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, we are saved. He was an iron pillar in that. But on things that you might eat, or, or the things that you might do here and there, some traditions that you might hold, he says, those are preference issues. And a lot of times, preference issues are killing churches. Preference issues are killing families. Preference issues are killing husbands and wives, the relationships. Preference issues are killing moms and dads with their, with their children. John Newton says, Paul was a reed. He was flexible on non-essentials. And a pillar on essentials, church. Let's be a pillar on essentials, and let's be charitable. Let's be gracious to others regarding non-essentials. Why? For the good of the church, for the good of the family, for the good of the community, for the literally for the advancement of the gospel among the nations. We can be flexible on the non-essentials and last but least we do it for the glory of jesus christ thank you for joining us for worship at fbc farwell if you made a decision for christ please let us know by contacting pastor russ at russ at fbcfarwell.org we would love to connect with you and walk alongside you in your faith journey we have some great resources to send you that will help you grow in your faith. As we close, I want to say thank you for listening today. If God leads you to give to the ministry of FBC Farwell, you can text FBC Farwell to the number 77977. Thank you for your generosity.